This podcast is intended for healthcare professionals only. Welcome to the Diabetes Knowledge and Practice podcast, bringing you news, views and updates in diabetes care. Today's episode is supported by an educational grant from Novo Nordisk AS, who have had no influence on the content or the choice of faculty. Having focused on various cardiorenal complications of diabetes in Series 3, today we're turning our attention to another common comorbidity, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, or NAFLD, also referred to as metabolic-associated fatty liver disease, or MAFLD. We'll review the key points around the condition, including its prevalence, pathophysiology, and outcomes associated with it, and then discuss awareness among both patients and healthcare professionals with our guest this week, Professor William Alazawi, who's Professor of Hepatology at Queen Mary University of London. As a reminder, you can find faculty disclosures and links to references in the episode notes. So to begin, we've discussed NAFLD in previous series of this podcast, but to recap, rather than a single condition, NAFLD is a spectrum of liver diseases associated with abnormal fat accumulation in the liver. The pathophysiology of these conditions begins with steatosis, where metabolic dysregulation results in excessive accumulation of lipids in liver cells causing them to balloon. This steatosis, or non-alcoholic fatty liver, in itself has a very low risk of adverse outcomes and is generally asymptomatic. However, around 25% of individuals with NAFLD progress to non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, or NASH, in which steatosis can begin to cause cellular damage, leading to inflammation in the liver. This state results in a feedback loop of cellular damage and further inflammation which can progress to fibrosis and cirrhosis, and a significantly increased risk of hepatocellular carcinoma. The precise mechanisms that control this accumulation of fat and susceptibility to inflammation are not fully understood, and were described in more detail by Marget and colleagues in a 2020 article. The rising prevalence of NAFLD means that NASH is now a leading cause of hepatocellular carcinoma, or reason for liver transplant. So why is this important in diabetes? It's estimated that three quarters of people with type 2 diabetes have NAFLD, and metabolic syndrome is reported to be the strongest risk factor for NAFLD. Given that around 25% of those with NAFLD will progress to NASH, and between 21 and 26% of those will progress to cirrhosis in eight years, this is clearly an area of major concern in the management of people with type 2 diabetes. Furthermore, Although the risk of progressing from NAFLD to NASH can be assessed non-invasively, diagnosis requires a biopsy. So how should awareness of NAFLD and NASH be raised among colleagues and patients? Today we're joined by Professor William Alazawi, who's Professor of Hepatology at Queen Mary University of London, Clinical Lead for NAFLD at Bart's Health NHS Trust, and Chair of the Special Interest Group for NAFLD of the British Association for the Study of the Liver. So firstly, considering the awareness of NASH and indeed fatty liver disease is quite um, quite low among people with diabetes, what's the best way of introducing fatty liver disease as a potential concern to a person with diabetes? Thank you. That's a really important question. And you're quite right that awareness of fatty liver disease is um, variable among patients as well as among clinicians. 
What I tend to do in my consultations is to uh, explain that a patient in whom we have identified a fatty liver does have excess fat in the liver. And I explain how we know that, usually because of imaging that has shown it. I explain that that fat in the liver is over and above what we might expect normally. And I also explain that that is associated quite commonly in people with type 2 diabetes in particular, with people who have obesity um, or are overweight, um, and discuss the associated risk factors, for example, high blood pressure, high cholesterol. Invariably, that leads to a discussion around diet and exercise, behavior, lifestyle choices that serve to reinforce some of the messages that they will undoubtedly have heard through their diabetes care. What's obviously important in that discussion is to give the patient a sense of uh, whether or not there is any damage to the liver and whether they actually have progressive liver disease. And that's obviously not the case for all patients. Now we do have tools at our disposal that allow us to risk stratified patients short of doing a liver biopsy. And I will have the results of those tests, whether that's a FIB4 score or a fibro scan or an ELF or one of the other non-invasive tests. Based on that, I can tell the patient whether or not I think that they are at increased risk of currently having significant fibrosis. And if they are, what we might do, first of all, to confirm that in the form of a liver biopsy, but also what that means in terms of the likelihood of progression through to more advanced fibrosis and cirrhosis. In other words, having a clear picture of the natural history of NASH and the distinction between fatty liver that increase risk, increases risk of cardiometabolic complications and the uh, concurrent presence of inflammation or scarring and how we might determine that is really important before I start speaking to the patient. In a similar vein, um, talking about colleagues, um, including across endocrinology and primary care, where there also might be less than optimal awareness of NASH, what's the best way we can start raising awareness with these colleagues? Well, again, I mean, that's a, that's a really important question. This is a condition that is extremely common and is present in patients who are attending the clinics and the specialties you've just described. It is a a disease that is so intricately caught up in diabetes and obesity that I think it should probably be part of our assessment of the systemic complications of liver disease. Now, the evidence to support that statement is currently lacking. Uh, and in fact, my group are working on trying to build that evidence base and see whether it is indeed effective to, for example, add liver fibrosis scores to diabetes annual reviews. But that is a work in progress. However, it certainly makes sense that if there is if, and that's a big if, if there are specific drugs licensed to treat this condition, or if there is evidence that we should redeploy um, the order or reorganize the order in which we use anti-diabetic or anti-whatever else drugs uh, by virtue of a diagnosis of Nash. And again, the evidence for that isn't there yet, but that's something that may well come up in the next few years, then uh, it becomes even more important that colleagues know about this condition because it might change the way in which they manage their patient's disease. And of course, the way in which we find our uh, education has changed over the last couple of years. Um, and I think the sooner we all get back to uh, having conferences and meetings and talking to each other, the better that's going to be for 
sharing and disseminating knowledge both ways. You mentioned this um, earlier, but should NASH be a point of consideration when selecting the type of diabetes medication for a patient? It is very tempting, I think, when one has a little bit of evidence from early phase studies, particularly in drugs that are already licensed for another indication, to start thinking about how one might use those drugs in a different disease setting. Being a bit of a purist, I would say, let's wait for the data. Um, I think we will find out soon enough whether or not we should be using, for example, SGLT2s, GLP1s, whatever it may be, in patients with NASH in a different order. I think let's wait for the data to come through. I think it is a reasonable hypothesis to test, and I'd probably go a bit further than that. I would say I would be keen to know whether um, I should be recommending to my diabetes colleagues that they can reorder the use of these different medications. Uh, But as I say, let's wait for the data to come through. To conclude, Despite the low general awareness, it's estimated that three quarters of people with type 2 diabetes have non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which in turn puts them at high risk of progressing to non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, fibrosis and cirrhosis. Join us next week for another episode on NASH, when we'll discuss how to help people with diabetes to reduce their risk. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the podcast on your favourite app recommend us to your colleagues or leave us a review or rating. You can also stay up to date with us or contact us through our Twitter account at DKI Practice or connect with us on LinkedIn and you can find links to these in the episode notes.